0: One body, many different parts. I wonder if Paul had a computer and he sent an email of 1 Corinthians. I wonder how different it would be from the 1 Corinthians we read. I think if you add up, you'll find there are 437 verses in 1 Corinthians. I haven't counted the number of words, but I would guess they're talking about, what, 4,000, something like that. So it'd be quite a long email, to say the least. (laughs) But I wonder, let's just remind ourselves, how did Paul come to write 1 Corinthians, and in particular, 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 12 onwards. You may remember that um, Paul, on his first journey, went through Galatia, fairly successful, and on the second journey, again through Galatia, and Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, to where I'm sure he really intended to get to. The whole point of the second journey, I think, probably, was to get to Corinth. This place of loose living, violence, robbery, all sorts of crimes... And Paul, I'm sure, thought, if I can just get there, I might well be able to make some sort of impression. And he was there, as we know from Acts 18, something like 18 months. Things went quite well. The latest governor there, Galileo, seemed to support him. That was the impression that Paul had. And he was able in uh, Corinth unlike other places to stay and finish his work and he went off probably quite a happy person I imagine yes you know, the church in Corinth really will get established that's jolly good but we know that for two or three years afterwards yes it was perhaps pretty good but then word started getting back to Paul things ain't too good in Corinth oh what's going on and then he got a letter from the church in Corinth. We know that because if you look at the first few words in chapter 7, it's, now let's come and deal with the questions I've asked you. And it must have been in writing. So Paul then decided, okay, I will sit down and I will write this letter Because particularly concerning him was the fact there were four churches, we might say, I'm not sure, arguably, four denominations in Corinth at that time. And surprisingly, they weren't arguing against each other. I'm right and you're wrong, get lost, that sort of thing. They were actually arguing among themselves. And Paul thought, my goodness me, I dare say like may I dare say, like some of the churches today. We argue among ourselves, don't we, sometimes about the most petty things, whether the keys to the cupboard should be with one person or another, or often, of course, much more serious issues. But Paul decided he would have to write a pretty serious letter. And so I think probably one could spend four or five weeks on this passage. There's so many... Um, interesting bits, so many helpful bits to our church in 2016 but we only have time to look just very cursorily at um, the words here let me pick out four things which I believe Paul was saying or behind what he was saying that might be of help to us if you go to verse 18 you'll find Paul emphasises the point that it's God's plan which is being carried out. We might all think, whether we've been here as members 50 years, or whether you've just dropped in for the morning, half an hour or so ago, just by accident. But Paul says, no, 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 that's not the case at all. It is God's plan that we are all here. As we've said already, when looking at the licorice all sorts, we are all different, and we all have a part to play. We're not here by chance. We're here because God God has called us to be here. When God calls, sometimes it's a most extraordinary thing, isn't it? He calls the most unlikely people. Take Paul himself. Some people say he looked a bit like Captain Mannering in Dad's Army. Now whether that's true, I'm not sure, but some people say that. He was certainly, from a physical point of view, a pretty feeble character. Remember the thorn in the flesh? Was that malarial fever? No one seems to really know. Seems to me that's a bit of a contradiction really because you think he went these hundreds of miles on journeys so he must have had a fair degree of um, physical ability but anyway Some people of course regarded him with great suspicion He was a turncoat He'd been stoning Christians one minute and then the next minute persuading them to, um, to join the band What was he about? What was his real motive? What was his real purpose in life? He persuaded women to obey their husbands all sorts of things he said about women in church, for example, which even to this day we are arguing about. He was a pretty odd character, but God called him. God had this work for him to do. Very surprising. What about Ananias? You remember the chap who actually went to Paul and said, I'm going to restore your sight. Welcome, come one of us without wishing to trivialize it, I think I tried to picture Ananias, he was sitting perhaps at home, he was sitting watching television on a Saturday afternoon, maybe watching the football, the phone rings and God's on the line, I want you to go down to the house in Straight Street and restore the sight um, of this man Paul, or Saul, of course, as he then was. What? Don't be stupid, Lord, are you mad? He's come here to kill us. I've got a job for him to do, and I want you I'm calling you, Ananias, to go and tell him. If you go back to the Old Testament, we all know the story, the gist of it anyway, of Jonah and the whale. He was a most unlikely person too. In fact, when God asked him to go to Nineveh to um, warn them that they were in God's bad odour, he was going to come and destroy the city, He said, I'm not likely. I'm I'm not going there. They're an arch enemy. I want him to destroy it. And he got down to Joppa, the port, and got a boat to Tarshish, you remember, at least towards Tarshish. Most unlikely situation. He did eventually go to Nineveh, admittedly. Or what about Abraham? He was called too, wasn't he? And you remember he was called to sacrifice um, his beloved son Isaac, which means laughter, And you remember how when here was um, Abraham with Isaac, Isaac was then about ten, and the Lord said to Abraham apparently, I want you to sacrifice your son. What? My favourite son? Oh, no, 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 no. But he wanted to carry out the Lord's instructions, so he went towards the place that God had instructed, that this is where, yes, you've got to sacrifice your son. But the significant word, and it seems to me, if one reads it, it's very clear, he said to the servants, Wait here, I'm going with my son over there. We shall be back, not I shall be back. He had such faith that, yes, God, in spite of what he had said, would not actually sacrifice his son. One could go on with many examples of God calling the strangest people, but as we've said this morning a number of times, one body, many different parts. What are we all called to do? Have we understood the job which God has given us to do? However unlikely that might seem. You might think God's mad asking you to do something like you just don't want to do. or You haven't got the experience, the time, the ability. But nevertheless, God may still be asking you to do a particular job. If we move on to verse 22. We've said this again a number of times this morning, but... uh, Paul is saying, yes, everyone is important. However young, however old, however strong, however weak you feel, there's something that you can do. You are important. I am important. We are all needed to make up that box of licorice all sorts. I may have mentioned previously that uh, some of you may have remembered um, the Reverend Ron Stokes. Ron was, I never knew him in his prime. He was, uh, I'm sure, a very powerful preacher. I knew him when he was quite old. He was very fragile. And when he eventually could do nothing other than remain in bed on his deathbed, literally, on a Monday morning, he would, so his wife told me afterwards, he would have a list of people. Get the telephone, and he'd ring them up and give you a word of encouragement. What were you doing yesterday? Which church were you at yesterday? How did it go? And here was somebody on his deathbed. You'd think, what could he possibly do? What sort of ministry could he possibly now, in the state he he is in? What ministry could he provide? But it was so important, so encouraging, so wonderful. And it really lifted um, our spirits in no uncertain terms. If one moves on then to verse 26 um, in the passage here, you'll see that this talks about a family of different people different in another sense now, going through different occasions in life. Some very joyful anniversaries, as me said in the prayers. Isn't it good to go to weddings and anniversaries and parties and rather than funerals and similar events? But of course, some of our parts, some of our people, some of our members will go through joyful times, some will go through hard and difficult times but says Paul, try and be aware of people going through a hard time particularly and be with them, encourage them, help them support them, know what's going on and of course if they are going through a good time then yes you know, clap your hands with them as well and be joyful with them Moves. I'm sorry to be so hasty, but obviously time gets on. But if one moves towards the end of this um, passage, verses 28 to 30, that's the time when Paul says we all bring different gifts. We all bring something, a different experience. It's going to be used. And in this chapter, we read of some of the gifts which Paul highlights: gifts of the Spirit, which is given, are given to various people. The talk of proclaiming, not just standing in a pulpit or standing on a street corner, but I believe Paul meant also proclaiming in the sense of we lead our lives in such a way that people say, oh, yes, he or she, yes, they go to church, they follow, they follow Jesus, oh, yes, we set an example. People with real faith, they can persuade others to have faith as in the same way as we've talked about um, Abraham's faith a few moments ago or the ability to solve problems, to understand difficulties people are going through. Perhaps a church issue, a problem, dare I say, with a minister. I'm sure not in our case, of course. But all sorts of situations where one needs to understand what is going on, have an experience, perhaps and maybe a business experience, which one can bring to the life of the church. Interesting, if you read in Romans chapter 12... And Romans, um, I think, is the only book one can say looks forward. All the other books that Paul wrote, they were either um, looking back, looking to someone or a group of people, saying, I told you this, if you understood, or to a person. But Romans looks forward. He hadn't been to Rome at that point. People knew of him there, but they certainly he hadn't been. And if you look at the sort of... um, Gifts, which he describes in Romans, they're very similar to the ones in in Corinthians, but he adds two or three more. The gift of encouragement, the gift of leaders, being leadership uh, in a leadership situation. I guess we would add a few more gifts which the church requires, wouldn't we? What about the gift of knowing about plumbing or IT? Things of this sort, which of course weren't around um, in Jesus' time or Paul's time. The church needs, any church needs, all these gifts, including, therefore, the ones which we all bring. Only if we're all here, as we've said now half a dozen times this morning, is the church complete. Can the church do his work? Let me end with two two points. First is, um, we mustn't forget, must we, the qualifications, the qualities, perhaps is a better word, of the first disciples. They hadn't got degrees in theology. They weren't rich people. They weren't particularly educated people at all. I've never, ever been fishing. are there any fishermen here? No one else has been fishing at all. Oh, Martin. Martin, what are the qualities of a fisherman? You have to be patient, I guess, sit all day and catch nothing. Is that your experience? And one understands from various biblical stories, that's what's happened to them, of course. They would come in in the morning, having been out all night, and not caught a darn thing. They must have gone, oh, you know. So a fisherman is patient. He must be very courageous. There were, a few years back, 37 fishing boats lost around the shores of the UK in that particular year. 37! So a fisherman must be courageous. Again, I'm told, Martin will tell me if I'm right or wrong, that to catch different types of fish, you use different bait and different techniques, different rods perhaps, to catch people to follow Jesus. There are different ways, different techniques. And so a fisherman has certainly these sort of qualities, which, yes, Jesus was looking for qualities which perhaps we should have. We might think we have no experience, no real ability, but perhaps we've got some of these qualities. And then finally, let me say, I always think the very last verse here, or it is in fact in this um, translation, the first few words um, below the heading of love, which you think are part of of, of chapter 13. I don't think it's coincidence that talking about um, churches, about the gifts which people bring, how we all react with each other, is followed by love. But it seems to me, unless all these things are in a spirit of love, of Christian love, they are but nothing. And when, as we know, in chapter 13, Paul goes on to say, love is so important in church. We can all show Christian love and respect and kindness to our Other parts, as it were. And I'm sure that's what he would wish us to do. So let's ask God that we will be a box of licorice all sorts. Yep, all different, as we've said so many times this morning. All with our parts to play in his work, in his service. Amen. Thanks, Dave.